0: Welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. What do you treasure? What are the most valuable things in your life? We're in the middle of a series that we call Treasure. And in this series, we're looking at three parables or three stories that Jesus told about money. Last week, Pastor Nicole shared about greed. Today, Pastor Quint Lindblad is joining us to talk about ambition and how we can make the most of our opportunities. So let's get started today and learn about the parable of the unjust steward. Here's Pastor Quint.
1: Hi, my name is Pastor Quint, and uh, I'm excited to be uh, bringing the word this morning. So, my oldest son turns eight tomorrow, and a, a while ago, when Pastor Nicole told me I'd be preaching this message on this date, if you remember back to August, I preached on my wife's birthday, so then she preached with me because I thought that would be a good birthday present. So I told my eight year old anderson you can you, you want to preach with me on the thirteenth It's right before your birthday we can like just start this theme you know because there's birthdays all the time in in my family of seven, and he was like, uh sure, but he wasn't really excited about it, and then we never talked about it again and then my wife said that like yesterday or the day before um well, yeah, and daddy's preaching tomorrow, and he's like, wait a minute, am I on stage tomorrow? He was like terrified, and she was like, no, you weren't very excited, so he moved on, but it was pretty, for a minute there, I was like, this could be good. We could really have some fun and and scare him, but he doesn't have much to teach you about money, so uh, we we left that out, but we are in week two of this series called Treasure, and we are talking about money, and um, I know that is sometimes uh, an uncomfortable conversation or uh, a controversial conversation, but I don't think it needs to be, and I loved what Pastor Nicole taught us last week. She gave us this reminder, and I think this is like such an important thing for us to remember as we head into this message today and then the wrap-up message next week. As much as Jesus did speak about money, he was talking just as much about our heart, our motive, and our obedience more, even as much as actual finances, okay? So really, when we're having these conversations, we are talking so much more about our heart condition, our obedience to him, our motivations with the things that we do have that he blesses us with, and one of those things is money. But to help us ease into this story today, or into this message today, let me read you this story, and hopefully this kind of like lightens the mood and we can, we can get going from here. There was an American investment banker at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large fin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. He said, oh, only a little while. And the American then asked, well, why didn't you stay out longer and catch more fish? The Mexican man said that he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. And the American said, but what will you do with the rest of your time? The Mexican fisherman said, I'll sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take a nap with my wife, Maria, stroll into the village each evening where I'll sit my wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life. The American scoffed and said, I am a Harvard MBA and I could help you. You should spend more time fishing. And with the proceeds, you can buy a bigger boat. And with the Uh, And with the proceeds from that, you could buy even more boats. And eventually, you would have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you would sell directly to the processor. Eventually, you would open your own cannery. You would control the product, process the the distribution, processing and distribution. You would need to leave this small coastal village and move to Mexico City. Then eventually LA, eventually New York City. And there you will run your expanding enterprise. And then the Mexican fisherman asked, well, how long will this take? The American said, 15 to 20 years. Well, what then? The American laughed and said, well, that's the best part. When the time is right, you will announce an IPO, and you will sell your company stock to the public, and you will become very rich, and you will make millions. Millions, asked the fisherman. Well, then what would I do? And the American said, and then you would retire, and you would move to a small coastal fishing village where you would sleep late, you would fish a little, you would play with your kids, you'd take a nap with your wife, and in the evenings, you'd stroll down to the village, sip wine, and play guitar with your amigos. Okay, so I think we get the point. Uh, The point is just that, well, that that story is called How Much Is Enough? And I love the sentiment behind it because it really sets up the conversation that we're going to have today. Um, as the executive pastor here, I get the privilege and the responsibility of overseeing a lot of the financial side of what it takes to make this awesome ministry work, and I've been doing that this role for about two years now, and I want to tell you, it has been nothing short of awesome and nothing short of inspiring to see how generous this church is. The last two years, it has just been amazing, the things that, that God has been able to do through you through your giving, uh, and and just through your heart. So I want you to turn to someone close to you and just say, you're such a generous person because you sit among generous people each and every week. Also, how that's like my least favorite part of services is when pastors do stuff like that, but I'm still going to do it. So anyways, all that being said, as generous as I can tell you this church is, And as faithful and committed as this church is, we never want to take this approach that we have something just figured out, that there's nothing for us to learn uh, on a certain topic or situation. We always have room to grow. And so that's why we're going to dig into this, and we're going to talk about this today. In my personal experience uh, in all my growing up years and going to churches, I have seen many different things when it comes to the subject of many in church. But I've seen these two extremes. Option A would be it gets talked about a lot. Like every week, like it's definitely a focal point in some way, shape, or form. You could, it's clearly important to like the pastor or the board or the culture, something. For some reason, it gets brought up. I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to say who is the reason, but there is like a, a major focus on money in certain churches. I've also seen the other extreme where option B would be like, we never talk about that here. We never put pressure on people. We don't want to make people uncomfortable. We don't talk about it. We just trust God to provide, and we just, uh, we just kind of stay away from that subject. For years, I've been in a church where for years it was never talked about. That also is not healthy. I think what I truly appreciate about our approach here at Erie First, I've been here four and a half years, is we really purpose a couple times a year to open the word and to talk for two or three or four weeks on what does God have to say about money. We're not afraid to have that conversation. Uh, you know, I think it's in this culture, we live in a culture that says, don't ever talk about money, politics, or relationships. And then we wonder why we can't, in a civilized manner, talk about money, politics, or relationships with anyone, OK? And I don't think that that's healthy or right. So this isn't going to be our weekly shining focal point, but we are going to tell you what God has to say about your behavior with finances, because we want to bring our lives into alignment with him. Now, uh, money is an everyday part of our lives. Money is—it it affects our, our every, single ordinary, every single ordinary day life. And God has lots of guidance for it. I want you to imagine, for me, imagine with me for a second a scenario where you go to some place 30, 40, 50 hours a week. You spend a ton of time there. At the end of spending your time there and, and providing a service, the compensation is money. But then you tell people, when someone says, who are you? You say, well, I work here, but it's not who I am, and I don't do it for the money. And listen, I preached last August that what you do does not define who you are. So you can go look that message up in the archives if you want. So I'm not saying that what you do defines you, but it's misguided to think that a place that we spend a lot of our time investing a lot of who we are that eventually compensates us for how we do live our life and makes up the things that we that we do Uh, participate in, in our recreational time, obviously has a role. It's important. And we do not want to act like somehow we can compartmentalize and push it to the side and never have to talk about it. So all of this to say, the the main question that you could say, like every message, really the the crux of it is like the purpose we're trying to accomplish is if you were to ask yourself the question, how can I bring this portion of my life more directly under God's will? Pick the portion. Today, we're talking about money, but we, we say that about how can I bring my marriage under uh, God's will for my life? How can I bring my job? How can I bring my singleness? How can I bring my parenting? How can I bring each and every part of my life more directly under his will? And so today, that's the question. we're asking, how can we bring our finances under God's will to best journey towards him? So turn with me in your Bibles to possibly the most unlikely of places uh, to get this conversation started today. In Luke 16, we read the story of the parable of the unjust steward. I mean, isn't that just an invitation to a, to a great story. And I'm going to read it today from the message translation. You can follow along on the screen. But it says, Jesus said to his disciples, there was once a rich man who had a manager. He got reports that the manager had been taking advantage of his position by running up huge personal expenses. So he called him in and said, what is this I hear about you? You are fired. And I want a complete audit of your books. The manager said to himself, what am I going to do? I've lost my job as manager. I'm not strong enough for a laboring job, and I'm too proud to beg. Oh, I've got a plan. Here's what I will do. Then, when I'm turned out into the street, people will take me into their houses. And then he went at it. One after another, he called in the people who were in debt to his master. And he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He replied, A hundred jugs of olive oil. And the manager said, Here, take your bill. Sit down. Quick now. Write fifty. To the next, he said, And you, what do you owe? And he said, A hundred sacks of wheat. And he answered him, Take your bill. Write in eighty. Now here is the surprise. The master praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Street-wise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live, really live, and not complacently just get by on good behavior. I have to admit, sometimes, most of the time, when Pastor Nicole says, this is the passage I want you to preach on, or this is the message we want, the direction we want to take the message, the the answer is fairly obvious as, to, as far as what the lesson is. I had to kind of pause and, and dig uh, with this one because this is not a typical, like what is happening here? What, what are we reading? The story of a dishonest manager and Jesus is saying what? And the, the master praised him. Who's who in this story? Who's, who is what character? Let's recap real quick. A manager is mishandling funds. The boss finds out. The boss declares, you're fired, and I want to investigate what you have been doing. He says that immediately. The manager quickly runs to the customers to manipulate the books further, which is an interesting choice since he knew the audit was going to be happening, and then the boss is actually impressed by his actions and praises him. I, I love that Jesus doesn't really even reconcile the story. I love that he he kind of, you're almost waiting for him to say like, and then they hugged and the manager rehired him and there was a warm embrace. Like there's like no ending. He just kind of leaves it on this cliffhanger. Story time is over. He has work to do. And he goes right into the application as if the disciples were tracking with him perfectly, which I think we know if we've read the gospels, they were rarely tracking with him perfectly, okay? But that's neither here nor there. The point that he drives home is this. The lost, unjust, unrighteous manager had enough sense to take some action and to take care of himself. He did it when he was employed, and then he went to work to take care of himself when he was about to be unemployed. And I love how the message translation says it because it says, I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right. Jesus' point in telling this story was to highlight that there should never be this hands-off approach to how we go about our life, to how we handle our finances or things like that. He's not endorsing the dishonesty. He's not endorsing the poor stewardship, but he is endorsing the level of passion that this man was willing to live with in regards to his own life. Now, I didn't take a poll uh, before giving this message, but I don't think I really need to. I think it's, if you were to ask every member of the staff here, I think they all would agree that I'm kind of known as the leadership guy on our staff here at Erie First. I'm the guy who's always got uh, an eight-week John Maxwell course ready to go, like let's watch this, let's learn. I'm the guy who's always got a one-liner from John Maxwell ready to help solve your problems, okay? I I love leadership. I've spent a lot of time studying leadership. In fact, recently I was talking to a friend about leadership, and I said, you know, if someone like woke me up at 2 a.m. and like shook me and said, give me your leadership philosophy right now, or else. I don't know what the or else would be, but like, let's just, just go with it, okay? If someone just woke me up at 2 a.m. and said, what's your, what's your leadership philosophy in one second? It would be this. Leaders see what others will see before others ever see it. Leaders see what others will see before others ever see it. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, why are you talking about leadership? I thought we were talking about money. Real simple. Whether you are a leader at work, at home, in your social circle, wherever, I know this to be true. You are a leader in your own life. Jesus entrusted you with your life, okay? He entrusted you to journey with him at your side through life, And I think that this parable is him making it very clear, there's a certain level of energy, of ambition, of passion that should be considered and adopted by each of us on our journey through life, okay? I think it's really, I think it's stewardship. It's stewarding our lives. Now, let me ask you this. Why should there be any level of separation at all between a Christian's passion and ambition to provide for their family and supply their church and support the things that they believe in and an unsaved person's drive and ambition to build their own business or to provide for their family and to handle their resources well. There should not be. There should not be this disconnect of, well, I'm saved. I don't have to have this drive or this energy like that. Listen, I would say it this way. You could say things like, well, I'm not greedy. And Pastor Nicole preached on greed last week, and we're not in- endorsing greed by any stretch. Um, you could say, oh, I'm storing up treasures in heaven. And that these things could be true. They also could be the justification for a lazy approach to life. I'm not saying that they are. I'm saying that they could be, okay? And I don't want that for you, and I don't want that for anyone who is following Jesus Christ. And I think this story is Jesus Christ reminding us that there is nothing noble or holy, about putting life on autopilot because we've come to know him, when we live in a world where ambition and passion and drive are excelling all sorts of things, they're excelling neutral things that really don't really matter. They're excelling awful, terrible things that, that make us sad as believers, but also they're excelling holy things. Drive and passion ambition, that's how holy things excel. So God put these things inside of us, and I believe we need to, to realize that. We should be excited and passionate, and as the message says, streetwise, to help advance the kingdom through passionate and driven means. I would say it this way. He didn't save us from ambition. He saved us from sin. He did not save us from ambition. He saved us from sin. But we still have skills and talents and ultimately treasures that can be used to reach others and grow his kingdom. We should strive to use those things for his kingdom advancement. All right? Now, back to my John Maxwell quote on leadership. Leaders see what others will see before others ever see it. How does that apply to you or to me in our Christian walk, our Christian journey? Well, what this means from a leadership perspective is that you have the ability to see a problem before it's ever gonna happen. Uh, a staff member comes into your office and tells you about something that they're gonna do, and as a leader, you see, sure, what they're presenting, but also other angles they're not considering, problems that could arise. It doesn't mean that it's a reason to not do it, but it's, it, these are things that you have to consider before you move on with something. Maybe you're not a boss, but maybe uh, at home, as if you're a parent in the room, a child comes in with some great idea or friend's house they're going to stay at or thing that they're going to do, and as the leader, you see the angles that will and will not work because you're the leader, that you are considering things they are not considering, all right? A leader sees potential problems and works to remedy them before they ever happen, okay? Now, I'm not here teaching organizational leadership. We're talking about money, And I would say this, as the leader of your life, I wanna ask you, are you being streetwise but for what is right? Are you being streetwise streetwise but for what is right? Just like Jesus said in this parable, specifically with your money, are you looking ahead at the outcomes that will materialize from your daily choices and your daily decisions? And are you seeing what your life will look like if you stay on your current path before others are ever gonna see it? Are you looking ahead at how your life will unfold and seeing what will happen before others ever see it, specifically with your money? That is our big point this morning. Others are going to see what your life will become over the next three to five years, or five to 10 years. You, as the leader of your life, have the opportunity to see, obviously there are variables, there are things that will come our way that we can't predict, but, Overall, you're able to see how things will unfold, how things will happen. And so I would challenge you to do that. Are you being leader enough of your own life to consider how your actions are influencing what others will see? Are you seeing what it will be in your mind before others will see it in real life? And are you envisioning how your financial behaviors will shape the coming months and years, and even decades of your life, okay? In Luke 16, I think it's very safe to say that this unjust manager was not a leader. He was a con man, okay? He was bad news. He he obviously was out for personal gain. And again, Jesus was not endorsing his poor behavior. Jesus was not endorsing his dishonesty, but he did seem to have this big point for us that we're gonna revisit this morning. It is this, be on constant alert. Look for the angles of what is happening around you. Survive by your wits and your wisdom, but do it all for what you know is right. Do it for the advancement of the kingdom. Now, here's the promise as chapter 16 continues. Verses 10 through 13 tell us this. Jesus went on to make these comments. If you're honest in small things, you'll be honest in big things. If you're a crook in small things, you will be a crook in big things. If you're not honest in small jobs, Who will put you in charge of the store? No worker can serve two bosses. He'll either hate the first and love the second or adore the first and despise the second. You cannot serve both God and the bank. I believe this, and I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in many others' life. God will trust you with more when you're faithful with what he has given you. What God can and will do with your faithful and obedient and true yes will far surpass anything you could ever do holding on to the 10% he's asked for in the way of the tithe. You know, we um, I love the word that April shared this morning about an undivided heart because there are countless worship songs. We sang several of them this morning. Oh, there's nothing... Better than you, your goodness is running after me. Uh, I give you everything, with my life laid down, and my heart poured out. I give you everything. We sing these words. We Facebook status update these words sometimes, but do we really like apply them to every area and facet of our lives? We serve a God. We're going to celebrate Easter here in a few weeks. We serve a God who came on our level, who gave up everything. We're talking about treasure, about finances this morning. But are we leading our lives in such a way that our actions exemplify these words we're we're excited to sing on Sunday morning, where there really is nothing better than you? That would mean that keeping 10%, keeping some level of finances because I think I could do more, you're saying that that's better than just trusting him. Okay? And so, so this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the application becomes real life. If you're not someone who has regularly given 10% or what we call a tithe, I would encourage you to do that. It's a way that you'll immediately bring your life into obedience with God's will, like we said at the beginning of this message. Our, our desire on our Christian journey is to be more and more inside God's will for our lives. So I would encourage you to do that because that would be Uh, a a practical step that you can take. Because after all, he gave us everything. He held nothing back from us. He held nothing back from us. We're talking about treasure, but we serve this Savior who put it all out there. He gave his life. He conquered sin, hell, death, the grave, all of it. How could we ever think that inside of that freedom that he has bestowed upon us, we will achieve more potential on our own efforts, keeping some of it to ourselves, doing things our way, than if we just trusted in full surrender. We're we're willing to trust him with our soul, Will we also trust him with our finances, with our behaviors, with our motivations, okay? If you have more questions on this subject, I do want to encourage you, uh, a couple of months ago, Pastor Nicole and I released a book called Love, Build, Send. You can get a free copy out in the lobby. There's a whole chapter in there that talks about the importance of tithing, the biblical instruction on what tithing is. And so don't, don't overlook that, the importance of that, bringing this Uh, into alignment with God's will for your life. What I want to do today as we wrap up, I'm just going to pray that over each and every one of us, uh, and then we will dismiss. But don't take these things lightly because God is after, I love that word, undivided heart. God wants our undivided heart. And the encouragement this morning was that he loves us where we're at with a divided heart. So if we can sit here and say, wow, I haven't been undivided in this. I've been divided. Well, he's saying, I love you even with your divided heart. But just trust me. It's just this invitation. Just trust me. So let me pray this morning. Jesus, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your, um, your patience with us. And I thank you for your instruction uh, to, to be passionate and to be ambitious and, and to be streetwise, but for what is right. And Lord, would you just uh, give every person in this room this morning a hunger and a desire, a drive to do just that, to be obedient, to have this undivided heart, to trust you with things that are easy to trust you with, but to trust you with things that can be difficult. Lord, would you just put that drive in every single person in this room this morning? And we thank you uh, for your word and for your heart for us and that you are only good and you're always running after us. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much and we will see you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss a message and share it with your friends. You can follow Erie First on Facebook and Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.